Welcome to the Connection Chat Podcast, where we talk about all things mental health. We believe that connecting with others through honest conversation is our greatest tool in breaking down the stigma that is often associated with mental illness. My name is Lauren Sepulvador, and today we're going to be having one of those conversations. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week of Connections Chat, everybody. This week, I have Lindsay here with me. Hey, Lindsay. Hello, everyone. Lindsay is the newest member of the business development team here at Connections Wellness Group, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. So I'll go ahead and read your introduction for all of our listeners. Lindsay Schaefer is a licensed clinical social worker currently serving as a clinical liaison at Connections Wellness Group. Prior to joining the Connections team, Lindsay's work primarily focused on providing individual, group, and crisis mental health support in public school and educational nonprofit settings. She holds an MSSW from the University of Texas at Arlington and is a Doctorate of Social Work student at the Kent School of Social Work and Family Science at the University of Louisville. In her spare time, Lindsay enjoys spending time with her family, playing board games, reading, and walking. That's right. Well, thank you for being here, Lindsay. I'm really excited to have you. Um, And it's just sort of a warning for everyone today. We will be talking about suicide prevention and awareness. This can be a triggering topic for some. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there. And to also mention the new Suicide and Crisis Lifeline number, 988, that you can call or text, correct? That's exactly right. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So, um, Lindsay, this topic can be very difficult to talk about. So my first question for you today is, what is the importance of discussing it with others and especially on a public platform? Absolutely. Thank you so much, first of all, for the trigger warning, because that does offer folks the time to um, check in with themselves and make sure that they're ready to sit and listen to this podcast. And I'm I'm very appreciative of that. Um, Education is the key to prevention when it comes to suicidality, suicidal thinking, and really to addressing any mental health needs. So the more we can engage in uh, non-judgmental, open-minded conversation with folks about suicide, educating about the signs, symptoms, and treatment for suicide and suicidality, the better. Not talking about it doesn't make it go away. So if we can engage in active conversations with those around us, um, then, then we can begin to take steps toward healing. Mm-hmm. Because it can be a scary conversation to have, but bringing things out in the light, that's when people are comfortable to share how they're feeling and get the help that they need. Absolutely. So speaking of that, what are some risk factors to look out for suicide? So I think it's important to note when we talk about suicidality and risk factors that we talk about mental health disorders. 46% of people who complete suicide are diagnosed with a mental illness. And it is suspected that up to 90% of folks who complete um, have exhibited signs and symptoms of mental health concerns. Um, Also important to note is that one in five people above the age of 12 um, suffers from a mental health condition of some variety. Coupled with that mental health aspect, we need to discuss the life stressors that compound. So um, oftentimes it's not solely mental health that's impacting the decision, um, but we're also looking at that 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 coupling effect with life stressors. So um, bullying and cyberbullying, as, as one who used to work in a school setting, mm-hmm. the advent of, of smartphones and social media, um, I definitely noticed the uptick in, in suicidal outcries um, in the school setting as well from our, our adolescents. So bullying, cyberbullying is a huge risk factor. 
substance use. Um, and we'll see that too co-occurring with the mental health um, issues. So being aware of someone who's had dramatic shift in that behavior and is using or misusing um, substances. Financial stressors um, coupled with other life um, stressors that might exacerbate that mental health need, um, especially in the wake of the coronavirus and the pandemic. There has been uh, unstable jobs, a housing market. I mean, we're in place where everything costs more um, mm-hmm. just to, to to live. So there's a lot of added stress in that regard. Self-injurious behavior and self-harming behaviors, while not always indicative of someone who's contemplating suicide, that is certainly a risk factor to keep in mind. Um, also, in addition, previous thoughts of suicide or past attempts is someone to 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 check in with, Mm -hmm. are they feeling suicidal? Do we need to continue to monitor their behavior and and to connect with them? Absolutely. Um, Family or home concerns, abuse and neglect, um, not feeling affirmed in in your home also will be a risk factor to take into account. Physical illness or pain, if I'm in constant pain, that will certainly be something to consider. Um, Grief and loss also, which I think... um, by and large, folks overlook when they think about folks who contemplate suicide. But when you've experienced a major life loss, particularly folks who have experienced some, a loss of suicide um, to a family member or a loved one, that increases your risk for suicidality. The last thing I want to talk about as far as risk factors is the LGBTQ plus community. Um, when, we, when we talk about risk factors for suicidality, this is the number one thing to for me to, mm-hmm. to really look at um, our youth and lesbian, gay, um, and bisexual youth attempt suicide four times more than their peers. When, when we talk about transgender folks, they attempt 12 times more. Um, and, and relating back to some of those stressors of not feeling affirmed or accepted or bullied or... Um, all those pieces. So we need to be aware and we need to be affirming and loving and reaching out and creating safe and connected cultures for an inclusive environments for everyone. Um, that is vital. And again, that education, that, that open communication piece is, is so important. Um, especially when you're seeing some of these risk factors in someone that, you know, I also want to talk a little bit about the scope of the problem. Um, because I think that's important to address. Since 1999, we've seen a 30% increase in suicidality and suicidal attempts. And um, you mentioned the 988 number. Since its inception in 2005, we've seen an 800% increase in in the number of calls that have gone through, which is why I'm so very thankful that we have that 988 number now because it is much easily, much more easily accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that also goes to, to speak to we're doing something right as far as education and communication, because more folks are accessing that resource mm-hmm. um, than ever before, uh, even amidst the stressors of the pandemic and, and all of the changes that we've experienced. I think that's that's a stride that we have made um, in, in reducing that stigma. So I, this is a harder piece to hear and to talk about, um, but suicide is the second leading cause of death for for people ages 10 to 34, and it's the 10th leading cause of death in the United States of America, um, more so than a car accident um, annually. So, so really taking that into account and sitting with, okay, how can we 
have education? How can we build community and inclusiveness in, um, and really open up the dialogue to, to break that stigma? Um, 75% of those who die by suicide are, um, identify as male and, um, We've seen an interesting trend over COVID. Um, the CDC did a study in February of March of 2021, which indicated that um, female females had an uptick in the numbers of attempts um, that ended up in emergency rooms um, during that time period. The number, the increase was 51% more than in 2019 pre-pandemic level. So we've seen some shifts in the demographics of who is um, contemplating and attempting and completing suicide since the start of the pandemic, um, which as mental health professionals, as caring and compassionate humans, I think we need to be aware of so that we can continue to have this conversation, that we can engage in um, in learning about treatment options, providing support services, and so on and so forth to, to everybody. It's really important to point out the shift in demographics that you mentioned as a mental health professional, as a country to see what is happening with this shift and how can we prevent this with all ages and with all genders. And I really like what you said about the LGBT community and not just as an individual, but as a community, how can we change? How can we become more affirming and to fight this and to fight the stigma? Mm -hmm. So going off of that, what are some of the warning signs to look out for, not just as an individual, but possibly as a community too? The majority of people who uh, attempt or complete suicide have a behavioral or verbal warning sign or an outcry. So four out of five youth will make an outcry of some form. And it is so important. I'm going to repeat this over and over and over that we are listening. If someone chooses to disclose that information, that we hear them, that we affirm them and that we respond. Um, We'll come back to some practical steps and ways to do that in just a minute. But I want to go back to your question about warning signs, Um, depression and persistent sadness, withdrawal, isolation. If you see drastic change in someone's mood, sleep patterns, eating patterns, if you see that they have had a really big shift in their view of self, um, I hear the word burden a lot with folks who are, who are contemplating suicide. That's always one of those, those like things that sticks out to me. If you see, if you hear someone talking like that, um, please take note, pay attention. Um, uh, changes if they are not interested in engaging in things that they normally find joy in, another warning sign, another red flag. Um, if someone has access to lethal methods, then we need to take note of that and restrict access as, as we are able to. Um, frequent talks about death and in past attempts, again, are, are things to pay attention to, warning signs to look out for. And if someone is giving away possessions or writing a goodbye letter, absolutely, we need to be paying attention and acting immediately. And you mentioned that someone saying they feel like a burden is Mm -hmm. a real red flag Mm -hmm. when looking out for some of the warning signs of suicide. So for some parents that might be fearful of talking to their children, um, but the child says something like that, what would you tell parents to talk to their children about? So. Excellent question. And I'm so glad that you asked it. Um, the first thing I would say is listen. Um, I'm, I'm going to walk through the, the be the one to campaign has these five, five steps for responding. And I want to make sure that we're hitting on each of those points because I think they're extremely important. 
So the first, the first thing that a parent can do is ask the question, um, are you feeling suicidal? Are you having thoughts of taking your life? And then to listen actively to their response, to be engaged in the response, to be non-judgmental as they are talking to you and sharing how they're feeling. Even if to you it doesn't make sense or you think, but your life is so great. We have everything, you know, don't do that comparative if then thing. Actively listen and hear what they're saying with a non-judgmental presence. The other piece I would say about that asking the question thing is you cannot promise to keep that a secret. Um, and to anyone listening, if someone discloses that to you, you can't promise to keep their feelings of suicidality a secret um, because we, we do need to act and respond to support them. So ask is the first piece that we can do. Be there is the second component of that. So whether that's physically sitting next to someone, whether you're on the phone, wherever, however you are present with them in that time. Don't just say, Hey, thanks for telling me that. See you later. No, we need to continue to be there with them while we are taking the next steps to get them supports. So, um, again, that be there piece also that continues the active listening that we've been engaging in. And that pretty much continues through all of the, the entire process. Um, the third thing that we can do is keep them safe. So we first need to assess the level of harm. If they have composed a note, if they have a plan that is imminent, that has a time frame, if they can express that plan and time frame to you, if they have already had some, taken medication or something um, that needs to be addressed immediately, we need to get them to an emergency room as soon as possible. Um, if there is an imminent plan, again, to an emergency room, to a mental health facility, we need to connect immediately to resources to make sure that they are physically safe. So, um, so we need to kind of do an assessment there um, with the person that's made the outcry to see what level of intervention is immediately necessary. Um, and keeping them safe then also means, again, limiting access to lethal methods um, as much as we are we're able to in that moment. Caregivers might have more ability to do that than a friend who's on the phone. Um, but, you know, if you can reach out to someone at that point and say, hey, mom or dad, my friend is is in need. Can you please do this, that, or the other? Or reaching out to the school counselor to say, this is what's going on. Um, so important. Um, the next step is to, to help them connect to resources. So, um, again, judging, I mean, taking into account everything that you've learned and kind of heard them say, we need to connect them to mental health supports. Um and build their village of support. So their safety net that's around them, um, their counselors, their, um, you know, mental health team at, at wherever they're receiving treatment, their school counselor, their support system at church, their support system in a club or activity, wherever that is. However, many folks that can be engaged um, in building connection with that human, um, the better. Mm -hmm. Um and that, and that sort of leads into the the follow up. So now that they're connected to their mental health supports, they've built a safety net. Must continue to follow up. Ongoing parents, friends, whoever it is, must continue to follow up. Regular check ins with that person to see how they're doing with their mental health. Um, correspondence with um, folks at school. Hey, have you seen a decline? Have you seen any shifts in behavior or any changes? Have their grades fallen? Just continued monitoring that person to see, is their job performance still intact? Are they going to work regularly? Have these components, is everything still okay? And then again, actively listening to the responses, being fully present with them, um, with whatever they're going through. Mm -hmm. um, connectedness is, is the key, 
is the key protective factor, not just for suicide, but for behaviors that would lead to suicidality and suicidal thinking. Um, so what COVID and the pandemic and the lockdowns presented was, was that com- constant isolation and disconnectedness and everything was online. And so that also contributed to a rise in, in depression, anxiety, and suicidality. Um, and so I bring that back around again to say that that active listening and that connectedness is, is crucial and vital. Um, and that coupled with the educational piece and, and working to break the stigma is really, if parents can be involved in that work, if our community can be involved in that work, then, then we are going to be doing great things, um, to support those who struggle with suicidality and suicidal ideation, um, the final thing I would say to parents, but I would say this to anyone too, someone has trusted you enough to share with you this, this piece of them that is overwhelming, Mm -hmm. that is hard. They feel like they're suffering and they have trusted you enough to say, I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they are crying out for help. Please listen. Yeah. So you mentioned that connectedness and having that support system is a huge protective factor Mm -hmm. for somebody might, that might be contemplating suicide. What are just some other protective factors? So connectedness is very important. We're going to keep continuing that theme throughout our conversation. Um, open, clear communication that is non-judgmental, where folks are actively engaging and acting listening is is vital. Um, building that safety network is, is truly important. Limiting access um, to any lethal methods or any ways that someone could hurt themselves. Uh, if someone's engaged in non-suicidal self-injury, then we, we need to limit access to those means as well. So communication, um, active listening, uh, connectedness, building that support system, limiting means, connecting to treatment, whether it's counseling, whether it's a higher level of care, um, whatever that looks like for that individual, we've got to get the support system put together. So it's all those pieces coupled together that will really provide those preventative factors. That's really helpful. And all this is really good to know to be able to help somebody if they are going through this, whether you're a family member, a friend, or even for parents. Um, And I imagine that this is something that can be really scary for parents to think about. Absolutely. But a lot of the things that you said could really take a weight off of their shoulders of you don't have to be the professional here. You just have to make sure that they get the professional help that they need if that's something that they're needing. Right. We want to continue to educate. We want to continue to break the stigma. We want folks to know that they're not alone. Um, we must emphasize that they are not in this by themselves and that they're going to be surrounded by a support network, by mental health professionals, by, by folks that are going to rally around them um, during this time. And that continuing follow-up will occur. Um, Even once they've maybe passed through this particular moment in their life, um, that there are still going to be supports in place for them. Um, uh, I do want to talk about some resources as well. I know our time is wrapping up. So, You mentioned the 988 number. Mm -hmm. The 1-800-273-8255 number will always remain active. That's not going away just because the 988 emergency line is now activated. So if someone still reaches out to that number, it is available. Um, The 988 number is super easy to remember and access, so we're very thankful for it. You can call or text it if you are feeling um, in your moment of crisis, and a trained mental health professional will answer and, and help assist you and support you from there and get you connected to the resources. Um, Since 2005, over 23 million people have called um, the suicide 
crisis hotline, uh, which again, I think speaks to the level of engagement, the level of awareness that we are continuing as a country, as a community to break that stigma surrounding, surrounding mental health. Um, it, I also want to provide, especially for the teenagers, one more uh, resource out that we can access. Um, there is a text crisis hotline that you can access. So you would text, text the word connect to 741-741 to also be connected to a, a professional uh, mental health counselor who can, can assist and support. So. Well, that's super helpful in all the resources that we can get, all the education that we can get out there. Like mm-hmm. you said, fighting the stigma is so important. So thank you so much, Lindsay, Absolutely. for everything that you do. This isn't an easy conversation, mm-hmm. but like you said, it's so important. It is. Mental health is health. And we've got to continue to to break the stigma that that's related to mental health at this point. Absolutely. And for professionals like you to be able to step up and talk and have these conversations that aren't easy, it ultimately can save lives. And there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions out there. And one of them being what we talked about is that if you ask somebody if they're contemplating suicide, that might push them over the edge when research and evidence shows that's not the case. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay, and for thank all you, of your knowledge today. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Connections Chat Podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast on your platform of choice to receive updates on our latest episodes. As our community is growing, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a review. If this episode resonated with you, please share and start the conversation with your network or support system. And together, we continue to break through the stigma surrounding mental illness.